Works better when I turn it on. All right, let's try that again. Good morning, Community Alliance Church. How are you doing today? My name is Pastor Joe. I have the fun opportunity to be here with you guys this morning to look at God's Word together. And that clip that you just saw on the screen is from a TV show that CBS released earlier this year called Living Biblically. If you've seen the show, then you know that the premise of the show is the guy who is holding the Bible, who in a very short period of time in his life experiences the sudden death of his best friend, as well as the news that his wife is pregnant with the birth of their first child. Now, given the sudden changing landscape of his life, he decides that he needs to become a better person, and so he chooses to start living 100% by the Bible. In the show, it kind of explores what does it mean to live out the instructions that the Bible gives us. Things like, do not lie, honor your father, show hospitality. I was reading an interview that the producers of the show gave, and they said it was their goal to offer a cool take on something that many people in our society base their lives around, the Bible. And they said they're trying to do this without offending anybody. Good luck. They, tried, they said they didn't want to offend either the religious people or skeptical people, so they try not to be too churchy or too harshly negative. I'll leave it up to you or the TV critics to decide if they're doing that very well, because I, I don't bring up the show Living Biblically this morning because I want you to go home and set your TiVos to record it, or because it's inaccurate biblically and I want you to go home and write an email to CBS. I bring up this TV show in which the intro, the character says that he's becoming a better man one verse at a time. And I bring it up because I think behind the idea of this TV show lies an assumption that many people in our society make about the Bible. See, I think that many people in our society, when they're viewing this book, the Bible, they view it as a how-to manual for our lives thinking that if you follow what it says, you're going to achieve a better life. Many, many people view this book as the instructions on how to live your life better. The Christian perspective of this assumption was kind of explained a few years ago. If you've ever heard the acronym for the word Bible, that B-I-B-L-E stands for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. I want to show you a quick cartoon on the screen. I'll give you a second to, to read through it. And I think this cartoon kind of visually captures this assumption. It's basically saying that this book, the Bible, has all the instructions that you need to put your life together and keep it together. In fact, when your life is broken, when things aren't going well, if you come to this book, you're going to find everything that you need to know about how to fix it. The funny thing to me is that I think that even people who would say that they don't believe the Bible and maybe even argue against it still hold to the general, this general viewpoint of the Bible. See, I think that skeptics would also say that the Bible contains rules or directives for what to do or what not to do in your life. They would just argue that they're not true that they're irrational or repressive or obsolete or contradictory. There's a well-known atheist named Sam Harris who kind of captured this viewpoint in his book, Letter to a Christian Nation, when he writes, we can either have a 21st century conversation about morality and the human, being, human well-being 
a conversation in which we avail ourselves of all scientific insights and philosophical arguments that have accumulated over the last 2,000 years of human discourse, or we can confine ourselves to a first-century conversation as it is preserved in the Bible. In other words, the skeptics of the Bible might say that the Bible is limiting, it's restrictive, it ignores all this other stuff that we know about human life, and at best, it's outdated or obsolete. In fact, if you live by the Bible in their viewpoint of it, if you follow this how-to book in their viewpoint, your life's going to be held back from experiencing all that life has to offer. So in our time together this morning, we're going to look at this viewpoint, is the Bible a how-to manual? And we're going to ask ourselves the question, is this assumption true? Is this assumption true? Is it accurate to say that the Bible is a book that tells you step-by-step step, how to live a better life. And if it isn't, then what is it? And to do this, we're going to look at a claim that the Bible actually makes about itself in Psalm chapter 19. So if you have your Bible with you, open it up with me to Psalm chapter 19. It should be somewhere like right in the middle. If you have a, an app on your phone, go ahead and pull it out. You can start making your way to Psalm chapter 19. And, and as you get there, I just want to tell you what I love about the book of Psalms. I call the, the book of Psalms the book of empathy. Because I feel like when you read the Psalms, it's like the writer is saying to you, I know how you feel. When you read the book of Psalms, you're going to find Psalms that express every array of human emotions with bare honesty before God. The Psalms express anxiety, sorrow, joy and amazement, guilt and depression, and even I want to run you over with my car anger. There's a Christian author and speaker named Joni Erickson Tata, and she puts the Psalms this way. She says, the Psalms wrap nouns and verbs around our pain better than any other book. And so as we look at the Psalm, Psalm 19 this morning, we're going to see that King David, you probably know him from David and Goliath and the slingshot and killing Goliath, he wraps some nouns, verbs, and adjectives around his perspective on God's word. Now, in this passage in Psalm 19, before we dive in, I just want you to know you're going to see six different synonyms that he uses to describe God's word. Words like law and precepts and statutes and so forth. As we're working through this, I just want you to realize that each one of these synonyms points to God's word as a whole. It's a method of writing called repetition. It's kind of saying the same thing over and over again in a slightly different way in order to get your point across. So when we read these, realize that each of these individual synonyms point to God's word as a whole, and when he writes them, he's saying that I'm talking about all of the Bible. Every page, every verse, every chapter, this applies to all of it. Now the first thing he says in Psalm 19.7 is this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The Hebrew word for perfect also means whole or complete. And he's saying that the Word of God is whole, it's complete, refreshing your soul. In other words, he's saying there's nothing missing that you need to live your life from this book. There might be things that you wish this book would talk about more. There might be things that you wish this book would explain differently. You might, there might be things in this book that you wish weren't in there. But it's whole, it's complete. It gives you what you need to live with a refreshed soul. 
Then he continues on and says, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. I don't know about you, but a couple times a day usually I pop onto a news site on the web or catch the news at home. And in our news today, it just seems like there's all kinds of accusations and denials and stories circulating everywhere you turn. One side makes an accusation, someone else makes a denial, and it's pretty quick that you just don't know, who can I really even believe? And you get to this point, if you're anything like me, like, I just don't believe anybody anymore. I don't know how to tell who is telling the truth. And David's saying here is, the Bible won't lie to you. It'll always tell you the truth. It won't always tell you the truth that you want to hear, but it certainly will tell you the truth that you need to hear. And if you follow that truth, it'll make you wise. Knowledge is knowing what everybody else says to do. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do. And that kind of wisdom is found within the Bible. Then he continues on and says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The word for right here in the original language could also mean level. When I read this, I think of some trips that we've gone on to the Dominican Republic and, and, and being up on the roof of a building watching some of the guys on our team lay block all day long. And as they're laying those block, they're putting a level on the block every single time with every trowel of mud and every block. They're making sure that their wall's level. And I remember watching them do it in the hot sun all day long, sweating. And then at the end of the day, seeing on their faces the satisfaction and joy that they feel when they put the level on the wall for the final time and that bubble slides right to the middle. And he's saying that in your life, doing what the Bible says to do will at times be hard. It won't be easy. It takes effort. But you will have the satisfaction and joy in your life that you can put a level on your life and the bubble will be in the middle. You have the satisfaction knowing that you did the right thing and the joy that that brings. Continuing on, he says, The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Psalm 119 says something similar. He says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, life is dark sometimes. You might feel like you're in a dark place today. But the Bible will shine light on the path that you are to take. It will give you understanding where to go next. It gives light to your eyes. He continues on and says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. There's no expiration date on the Bible. It endures forever. It's not like the milk in your refrigerator. You don't have to take it out and give it the sniff test. It'll always pass that. It will always be applicable to your life. It was relevant to the people who read it 2,000, 3,000 years ago, and it's just as relevant as it is then as it is now to our lives. One more, he says, the decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Gold was precious and honey was sweet in the time period in which David was writing because they were rare and they were distinctly different and better than anything else that was common in the ancient world. And David's saying that when you take what you find in this book and you apply it to your life, you live a life that is distinctly different and better 
than what is commonplace around you. And what that means is that if you're a single person here today, and you're looking for the right person for your life, you want to find someone who lives by this book. Because they will be a distinctly different and better man or a distinctly different and better woman for you. If you're a husband or a wife, following what this book says will make you a distinctly different and better husband or wife. You can be a distinctly different, better parent or supervisor or employee or friend or neighbor. Now, I don't know about you, but going through that list, that's a lot. Let's just come up for air for a second. David is describing this kind of life that comes from the Bible. And it's really easy, I think, to look at this and say, well, yeah, sure. It certainly does seem that if we follow these statutes and laws and commands, that our lives are going to be really good. They're going to be refreshed and joyous and we'll have light to know what to do next. How isn't the Bible like a how-to manual? It sure seems like it is. And I would agree to an extent. On one level, the Bible is saying that. If you're here today and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you don't know what you believe, but you just go home and say, I'm going to start doing what this thing says to do, your life will in a lot of ways be better. You'll be more loving towards other people. You'll be more honest. You'll be more forgiving. In many ways, the Bible makes our lives better. But when we really think about what it means if we view the Bible as a how-to manual for life, there's a logical consequence that comes from that viewpoint that we just can't ignore. And that consequence is this, or that, that viewpoint is this, is if the Bible, in its essence, or at its core, is a how-to for life, then that makes life at its core all about how well you and I keep the Bible's commands. In other words, if you and I, bottom line, believe that this book is telling us what to do in our lives, then bottom line, our lives come down to how well we follow what this book says to do. And I think that's problematic. And I think that you probably at some point in your life have bumped up to some of the problems that it creates. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you try to read your Bible, maybe you've realized that it sets a really high standard. Maybe, in fact, you feel like it's an unachievable standard. You'll never measure up to what this book says to do. In fact, you disagree with Psalm 19.7. You said, this book doesn't refresh my soul. My goodness, when I read it, I see what a failure I am. I avoid it because it depresses me, because I realize I'm just not good enough. If that's how you feel, we're going to come back to that feeling in a few moments. But I just want to give you this. Do you realize that the person writing Psalm 19 was King David? And he had some really good days when he slayed giants. But King David also had some really tough times in his life. If you mark down 2 Samuel 11 and 12 and go read it later, you'll realize that in one year of his life, King David broke five of the Ten Commandments. Commandments number six through ten. Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't covet. Wham, 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 wham. Right down the list, he broke them all. He knew what it meant in his own life to measure up against the Bible and come short. But you might be here today, and you're actually kind of the opposite. You use the Bible kind of as a spiritual ladder. The commands are kind of the rungs on the ladder. And the better you obey, the higher you climb. And your life is all about how high you can climb that ladder. Not so much because you're trying to be closer to God, 
but you're just trying to get a better viewpoint to look down on other people for not being as good as you are. You use this book as a tool to judge others and to feel better about yourself. And that's a problem as well. In fact, if, you, if you're really honest, you probably look at your ladder and you say, all the rungs on my ladder are all the commands that I don't find it very difficult to keep. But you kind of ignore all the ones that you have more trouble with. Or maybe because you've approached the Bible as a book that will make your life better, you feel like the Bible's not really living up to its promise. You've tried reading it and applying it to your life, but you feel like it's not making your life better the way that you feel that it should be better. You've tried to be an honest person. You've been honest at work, but you've watched dishonest people get promotions ahead of you. You've tried to obey and be faithful to your spouse, but your spouse has not been faithful to you. You have worked hard to be forgiven, but others have taken advantage of that. You've worked to be generous, but others have cheated you. You've tried to be physically healthy the way the Bible says to treat your body, but your physical health has been taken from you. And you have, when you're really honest with yourself, said, I'm kind of disappointed. This doesn't seem to work that way. You could be here this morning and you're not a Christian. You'd say, hey, I'm just a church checking things out, but don't, don't confuse it. Like, I don't necessarily believe all of this stuff. I think it might be because you have viewed the Bible as a how-to manual that could have led you to not want to be a Christian. Maybe you've looked around and you said, I know all these Christians who claim that the Bible's great, but the problem is none of them actually all do all of what the Bible says to do. And so your conclusion has been that Christians are hypocrites. They claim that the Bible's great, but they don't live by it. How good of a how-to manual could it possibly be? Or maybe you've known some people who really do try to follow the Bible. People that you would say are really good people. But you've seen bad things happen in their life. And you think to yourself, my life is better without the Bible than that person who has the Bible in their life. Why would I want to do what that says? Now, if any of those possibilities hit home with you, I want to ask you a question. What if the Bible isn't meant to be a how-to manual for life? What if some of the frustration or disappointment that you or others may have felt with this book comes from approaching it, expecting it to be what it is not, all the while missing out on exactly what it was designed to be? This morning, I want us to see together that when we approach the Bible as a how-to manual for our lives, we will be disappointed. We will be frustrated because we miss out on what it was designed to be. Something so much more than just a how-to for our lives. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're saying, you know what, I was paying attention when you read Psalm 19.7. That was a lot to get through, but it sure did sound like this book makes your life better. How could it not be, at its core, designed to make my life better? I want to explain to you kind of how it was explained to me. Have you ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? i got to warn you, there's going to be a little bit of a spoiler alert. You've had 19 years to see it, though. Chances were you weren't watching it today. If you've ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis is in it, and he plays this child psychologist, and through the movie, he interacts with a young boy named Cole who claims to have a special ability. 
That special ability is summed up in the most famous line from the movie when Cole says, I see dead people. And sure enough, in the movie, Bruce Willis's character becomes convinced of Cole's gift, and he helps him to try to find purpose in using that gift. And through the movie, Cole interacts with people that have died, and he interacts with Bruce Willis's character, Dr. Crow. But, but chances are, if you've seen the movie The Sixth Sense, all those interactions aren't what you remember the most from the movie. If you've seen it, then what you remember the most is the stunning plot twist at the end. Because through the entire movie, when you're watching it for the first time, you think that Bruce Willis is alive. Only at the very end of the movie to find out that he has been dead the entire time. And he's one of the dead people that young Cole can see. And then I know what you did next. If you had it on VHS in 1999 or DVD or Blu-ray, you put it back in and you watch the movie again because now the entire movie is seen in a different light now that you have that shocking revelation at the end. In John chapter 5, Jesus himself makes a sixth sense kind of a statement. He makes a statement that's a game changer. A statement that causes us to see scripture in an entirely new light. Please turn with me in your Bible over to John chapter 5. And as you're getting there, I kind of just want to set up for a minute what's going on here. Because it will help us to understand a little bit better. As Jesus began his ministry, he started to get really, really popular. And so there was this group of Jewish religious people who would follow him around. Not like follow in a Twitter sense, follow him. Like they had to put on their sandals and go for a walk. So they've been following him around everywhere he went. And their purpose was to compare what he said and did with Scripture to see if he was messing up anywhere. And sure enough, with their understanding of Scripture, they found some times where Jesus did some things and said some things that really didn't add up to how they viewed Scripture. And in John chapter 5, it was one of those times, and they're questioning him on it. Now check out verse 39 with me and see what Jesus says. He's telling these religious people, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's saying ever since you were little boys, you were going to synagogue, you were going to church, you were learning all about what your scriptures had to say. Your lives have been based on them. Your focus has been on understanding this because you think that it's going to lead you to have the life that you want. Then he makes this statement in the rest of 39. He says, these scriptures that you've been basing your entire lives on, you've been missing the point because these are the very scriptures that testify about me. He's saying, what you've been learning since you were a kid, from the very first book of Moses, the book of Genesis, when it says, in the beginning, all the way through to the last prophet, and everything that happens in between, all the heroes, all the villains, all the commands, all the prophecies, they all point to one person. They all testify to Jesus Christ. And in this phrase, he's saying this, he's saying the Bible, contrary to your understanding, is not a how-to manual for life. It is the story of me. It is the story of Jesus. The Bible is not a how-to manual for life. According to Jesus, it is his story. And you see, these people may be like some of us at times in our lives. 
They just thought, you know, if I could just learn one more thing, if I could just do a little bit better, if I could just sin a little bit less, maybe if I can just uncover one more little truth, it'll lead me to having the life that I want. And Jesus is saying this in verse 40. He says, you've been doing all this stuff, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Because in all of your focus and in all of your effort and all of your concentration on all of the how of the Bible, you've completely missed the who of the Bible. And Jesus is telling them and he's telling us, this book, the Bible, is not the explanation of how. It's the story of who, and that who is Jesus Christ. So if you've checked out this morning, you haven't been listening, like, give me two seconds and I will give you just the bottom line. Just pay attention because I don't want you to miss this. If your viewpoint of the Bible is that it contains all the rules and the commands that you need to follow in order to live a good life, and that when you're following it and you're doing well, God's really happy with you, but whenever you break some of the commands, he's really, really mad at you, then you have completely missed the heart of the message of this book. Because the bad news is that no single one of us are ever able to keep enough of the commands long enough, well enough, to ever please God. We can't do it. The good news is that's not what this is even about. This is about how Jesus, not us, has been able to please God. And it's about how Jesus, not us, has earned life and how he's given it to us. It's not the explanation of how, it's the story of who. And that who is Jesus Christ. So what does this do if we go back to Psalm 19? Why did we look at that in the first place? Let's take a look at Psalm 19 again. And viewing this as pointing to Jesus, let's see how it might change our perspective. Psalm chapter 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Who but Jesus Christ is the ultimate refresher or restorer of the soul. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. It says, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Jesus restores our lives. Psalm chapter 19 says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Who but Jesus Christ is the ultimate giver of wisdom? First Corinthians 1.30 says this, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become wisdom for us from God. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Who but Jesus Christ is the ultimate giver of joy? John chapter 15 tells us that Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. Psalm 19 says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. John 8 says, where Jesus makes the claim, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Psalm says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Who but Jesus Christ endures forever? Hebrews 13:8 tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Finally, Psalm says that the decrees of the Lord are more precious than gold. I ask you one last time, who is more precious than Jesus Christ? 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, as precious as they are, that you were redeemed. But with what? The precious blood of Christ. It's only when we, be able to see, we, are, when we are able to see this book, not as a how-to for our lives, but as the story of Jesus Christ, that we are able to engage it in a way that allows us to know him and experience his story, and find our place in it. As we wrap up this morning, let me kind of just summarize all that we've been, been talking about with a little example. So about a month or two ago, I bought a meat smoker. And what I learned after buying a meat smoker is that there's a whole community of people who smoke meat. It's a thing. So you find this out whenever people find out that you have a meat smoker, what they do is they pull out their phone and show you pictures of all the meat that they have smoked. And you sit there and you say, oh, look at that smoke ring. Um, you think that's weird just because you don't have a meat smoker. If you had a meat smoker, you would think it's pretty normal. In fact, if you have one, you're probably going to come up to me after church and show me the pictures of what you have cooked on yours. I have a friend that I keep in touch with from where I grew up. He has a four-year-old son. I have no idea what his kids look like. I do know what his pork tenderloin looked like two weeks ago. <laughs> That's unfortunately true. So my meat smoker came with this manual, right? It's just like any other manual. It's not that special. It has the warning section. Very first thing, uh, none of us read this, but if you do, you would see that you could blow yourself up or burn down your house with this device that you've bought. It's got the how-to instructions that you use to put it together, and it's got the troubleshooting section for when you didn't follow the how-to instructions and you need to figure out what went wrong. It has recipes that I can use to cook various things on it. And finally, somewhere in very small print, it has a phone number that I can call when I have a problem. That's really hard to find. Now, what if the Bible was like a manual? Wouldn't that be nice if the Bible was organized like this? I mean, think about it. What if there was a warning section in the Bible right at the start that says, if you want to completely blow up your life, do this. We suggest not, though, because it will mess you up. Then there could be like a section that says, this is how to live a better life, step by step. Then maybe there'd be a troubleshooting section for whenever you ignored the warning section and you completely messed up your life, but you want to fix it, and you can turn to the troubleshooting section. There could be some recipes for how to be a better dad, how to be a better leader, how to be better with money. And then finally, if I was writing it, I'd put God's phone number right in the back of it so that, you know, when you get stuck, you can just call them. And, and even though there are parts of the Bible that might be kind of like a how-to manual, the Bible in its essence is not a how-to for our lives because it's a story about a person. Expecting the Bible to be a how-to for our lives is kind of like me expecting my wife to come with a how-to manual. That would be awesome, <laughs> but it's not a reality because she's not a process She's not a procedure. She's a person. When I met my wife and I was starting to get to know her, I didn't go to women.com and look up the Trisha model and download the PDF manual so I could get myself up to speed. 
Instead, I spent time with her. And I got to know her, and I developed a relationship with her. And out of that relationship that I had with her, I learned what made her happy, what pleased her. And inside of me grew a desire to do what pleased her. And it wasn't like this desire to do it out of obligation, like I better do it or else. I desired to do what pleased her out of love for her. And in the same way, the Bible is the story of Jesus' love for us. And it leads us to know him. And through it, we develop a relationship with him. And we learn what pleases him. And then we do that out of love for him because of the relationship that we form with him. And my challenge to you today is engage with the story of Jesus Christ through finding him in his story, the Bible. If you're here today and you're like, I read my Bible all the time, that's awesome. Here's my challenge to you. As you read, ask fewer how questions and ask more who questions. Focus less on what do you need to do more of or less of in your life, and instead focus on how is what I am reading leading me to know and love Jesus Christ more? How is what I am reading leading me to understand better what he has done for me and how I should live my life in light of his story. Now, maybe you're here today and you say, well, I come to church all the time. I'm in a life group. Like, those are really good. I just don't really read my Bible. We're glad you come to church. We're glad you're in a group. We're glad you maybe listen to sermons on the radio or on, on your phone as you're driving. I just want you to know, that's not enough. See, you can learn all kinds of what stuff about Jesus, but unless you're engaging with him through his story in the Bible, then you're not really meeting the who. We want to help partner with you in doing that. I can't come to your house and like open up your eyes and make you look at the Bible, but we want to do everything short of that to make it easy for you to do that. If you just kind of need a plan, like how do I organize myself to do this, we've placed a few uh, five-day Bible reading plans out on the Welcome Center. If they're taken by the time you get there, it's available online on our website. Download that. It'll give you kind of a step-by-step -step plan to work through the Bible. If you're like a beginner, if you just Google beginner's Bible reading plan, you'll find all kinds of amazing ways to just get started. Maybe you're not really a paper book reader anymore. That's awesome. You can go on your phone and you can download the Version Bible app. It's made free through the generosity of another church. And you can have it right on your phone, any translation you want. It also has some Bible reading plans. Maybe you're more of a listener. That's awesome too. You, do you know you can get the Bible in 2018 where someone actually reads it to you? It's amazing. Just get that. Listen to it in the car when you're driving or listen to it while you're exercising. Maybe you don't have a Bible. Look around you. There are a number of Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Take one home with you. It's our gift to you. We want you to have the Bible in your hand. Now, finally, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't even really know if the Bible is true. Do I have to believe it's true before I start reading it? No. Did you believe Star Wars was true before you went and saw it? No. 
hey, we are comfortable reading a story. Approach the Bible as a story, even if you're not completely confident that you agree with everything that it says. When you approach it as a story, you can begin to learn more about what the Bible says about Jesus. It's his story. And if you've not chosen to follow Jesus yet, at least be better informed about what it is you're choosing not to follow. But I have to warn you, it might change your life. My challenge to you today is simple. Engage the story of Jesus Christ by reading your Bible. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for our Bibles. We thank you for the word and the revelation that you give to us. We thank you not so much for the words that are on the page, but for your son, Jesus Christ, that those words and those pages reveal to us and for what he has done for us and for his story and that he wants to include us in it. God, may we be people of your word because we are people who follow your son, Jesus Christ. God, give us a hunger and passion for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Couple quick announcements. In Kids Stuff Theater, 10 minutes from now, there will be the last family experience of the school year. If you have a child who's in kindergarten through fifth grade, go ahead and get them from children's ministry. Head down to Kids Stuff Theater for family experience. Next week, Pastor Bob is going to be up speaking, and he's going to be talking about how to find grace and mercy in your life when you need it most. Uh, finally, if you're here today and you're one of our elders, uh, we had someone ask for prayer for anointing after the service. If you join us at the front when we are done, uh, we would appreciate that. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next Sunday.